0: Monday to Friday, 7am to 8:30am.
1: Early double. your
0: Welcome to 3CR Thursday Breakfast with me, Inez. It is our very last show, our very last live show of this year, which is really exciting. We've had such an incredible year, including Radiothon and, you know, really want to extend that gratitude to everybody that listens and shares and everybody that's come on the show. I think 3CR is such a special place and it's definitely the best part of my week. So it's really special to share that with all of you. And it's just me in the studio today. Uh... We have Spike and Leela Priya, they are away today. And we have Emily who's also always writing the headlines. So wanna give a special shout out to them, holding them in my heart too. I hope you're all doing well this morning as well as we all can be. I know that it's a difficult time being able to lean on people that can really help you and support you and really be in the fight For Palestine, for the Congo, Sudan, everybody together, I think it's really special. And it's really incredible to be at a space like 3CR where we have so many incredible voices, including Palestine Remembered. So, yeah, just want to note that as well. But, yeah, we'll go to a CSA and then we'll get into the news headlines. Stand in solidarity with Palestine this Sunday.
2: With the most devastating attack ever launched on the people of Gaza... It's time for all of us to stand in solidarity with the Palestinian
3: people.
1: Israel has waged war on the Palestinians for the last 75 years. The Nakba, ethnic cleansing, occupation of the West Bank, East Jerusalem and Gaza. Israel has now imposed a total blockade on Gaza and declared war, stopping food, electricity and fuel and launching an all-out attack.
3: We have to mobilise to show our support for Palestine. 12pm State Library this Sunday.
1: Rally to demand freedom and justice for Palestine. No war on Gaza.
2: Free Palestine Melbourne is a 3CR supporter.
0: I should probably tell you what the show is about (laughs) this week, which I... um, forgot to do, and then we'll go into the headlines. But today, we have a big show as well. Uh, we first up have an interview that Priya did with Gumaj uh, clan elder, Yali Marika Yunupingu, who leads the Galupi- Galupa Safety House Suicide Prevention and Women's Shelter Initiative as part of the Galupa Homeland Project. And the project is located on the Gove Peninsula of northeast Arumland in Northern Territory and is focused on keeping women and children in Galupa safe and healthy through their connections to land and culture under the guidance of Ilunj elders. Now, the, earlier this year, uh Lee turned down a $3 million offer from Rio Tinto, which established a refinery near Galupa to relocate the project. Now, emphasizing the centrality of the land to the work that she does for her people, and Galupa remains sorely unfunded, and listeners are encouraged to chip into their Christmas appeal to build and maintain vital infrastructure to sustain this work into the future. And the next few interviews are about Palestine and the media and the arts. So, yeah, it's really nice that that has come together. So first up, we'll hear uh, Spike's interview with Nick Chesterfield, who is a journalist and member of the Media, Entertainment and Arts Alliance Solidarity Group for Palestine. Now, this week, Nick had a conversation with Spike about the open letter written to Australian newsrooms by journalists to raise awareness of the pro-Zionist coverage of the genocide in Gaza. Now, coverage that peddles the false narrative that there is a, you know, a parody between two sides and only one side has the right to defend itself uh, is soft on war crimes and human rights abuses. Nick also discussed the pressure exerted by editors to push a pro pro-war machine or what Nick has described a stenographers of genocide and finally Nick also discussed what an insurgent or more balanced media that reported the facts would look like and then we have Noor uh, Abdul Latif who is the founder and director of Unassigned Gallery Unassigned Gallery was born out of a desire to give a platform to artists on the outside as so often the art world feels impenetrable and established in 2022, Unassigned Gallery is an artist-run space that seeks to platform new and unseen talent in Nam's vibrant art scene. Nanur is here to chat about the importance of amplifying artists' voices, what being a queer Muslim means to them, and finding joy and respite in creativity. And last, but certainly not least, we have Sofia uh, Sabag, who is a Palestinian-Irish artist, organiser, and educator, who uses art as her ideal form of communication, expression, engaging and mobilizing community. She engages with ecological and human stories to grapple with, you know, what it means to live on stolen land and resistance. Now, today she joins us to talk about art as resistance and protest, the targeting and killing of arts and media workers in Palestine, Zionism in the arts and media scene and what we can do about it. And now (laughs) we will go to a season. I'll be back with the news.
3: Wildlife Victoria is a non-profit wildlife emergency response service dedicated to helping wildlife in need across Victoria. Our volunteers rescue and rehabilitate sick, injured and orphaned wildlife. If you see wildlife that may need our help on the road, in your backyard or in the bush, please contact us immediately on 8400 7300. That's 8400 7300. To donate or to become a volunteer, visit wildlifevictoria.org.au. A 3CR supporter.
0: These are the news headlines for Thursday, the 21st of December. In Gaza this week, Israel's latest missiles targeted the southern Rafah area the same area hundreds of thousands of Palestinian refugees were forcibly evacuated to in recent weeks. Now, among Israel's genocide, Palestinians continue to shoulder the burden of their sharing their stories with the world, and with that, journalists continue to be targeted, including the killing of Palestinian journalists Adil Zarub, Hussar Mubarak, Ahmed Shabab. The head of the International Committee of the Red Cross described Israel's war or genocide as a moral failure this week and messages from palestinians in gaza describe digging for people under the rubble of bombings severe lack of food water and access to medical treatment meanwhile yemen's houthi movement ansarallah attacked two israeli linked vessels in the red sea aiming to disrupt global trade in solidarity with gaza meanwhile Uh, Several companies have since stopped shipping through that route, including oil giant BP and some of the world's largest shipping companies. Locally, protests and actions of solidarity continue every day, including tens of thousands of people rallying for the 10th consecutive week last Sunday, disruptions of Israeli-owned companies and shops and at the Port of Melbourne, and recent pro-Falistine protests by Wyndham, Darabin and Hume Councils. Also in headlines, residents from the devastated Wajul community in far north Queensland are being evacuated after severe flooding caused by ex-tropical Cyclone Jasper left them stranded. Evacuation attempts were stalled earlier this week due to strong winds and cloud cover, but proceeded on Tuesday when the first residents were airlifted to Cooktown, which is also severely short on supplies and suffering from a flood from a flooded water treatment plant flooding has caused widespread damage to roads and houses with now isolated First Nations communities such as Wujul Wujul and Yarrabah harshly impacted. In other news, the city of Yarra has opposed privatisation of public housing sites across the council area and has urged the Victoria government to maintain existing public housing dwellings to address the housing affordability crisis. The mayor, Of YARA said the provision of public, community, and affordable housing is a priority for the council, and that community members threatened with the demolition of public housing flats say they want to remain in their homes. Finally, in headlines, workers at Coles and Woolworths supermarkets are ramping up nationwide strikes this week, campaigning for a living wage, secure jobs, and safe workplaces. The super strike organised by the Retail and Fast Food Workers Union, or AFU, started yesterday and is building to a nationwide strike tomorrow, continuing until December 25th. The union is calling for people to boycott Coles and Woolworths, citing the supermarket's record profits, continued exploitation of workers, exploitation of consumers and price gouging during a cost of living crisis. Now, these have been the news headlines for Thursday, the 21st of December. You're listening to 3CR.
3: I sat in the interrogation room wanting answers. You see, that's what I did. I grilled authors for the whys and wherefores. Every Thursday, 11.30, it was the same, 3CR, published or not. Who were the characters involved? What were they like? And how did the whole damn plot unfold? So stay tuned as Jan, David, and Lisa apply the pressure once more to yet another author.
0: I love that new published or not promo. It's really special. Um, yeah, and so now we're going to go to our first interview this week, uh, which is Priya's interview with Kumaja, um Clan Elder Gaili Marika Yunupingu, who leads the Galupa Safety House Suicide Prevention and Women's Shelter Initiative as part of the Galupa Homeland Project. The project is located on the Gove Peninsula of northeastern Aramland in Northern Territory and is focused on keeping women and children in Galupa safe and healthy through their connections to land and culture under the guidance of Yulnu Elders. This year... Uh, Gaili turned out a $3 million offer from Rio Tinto, which has established a refinery near Galupa to relocate the project. Really emphasizing the centrality of her land to the work that she does for her people, Galupa remains sorely underfunded, and listeners are encouraged to chip in to their Christmas appeal to build and maintain infrastructure to sustain this work into the future. Really looking forward to this interview, and here it is.
4: Gaili, thank you so much for speaking with me today. So I thought we can start by hearing about who you are and the place where you live. So can you tell us a bit about your life at Galupa and what the word Galupa means? First of all, I'd like to
1: introduce myself. My name is Kaeli Bananji Marika Yenipingo and I'm a senior traditional woman uh, in Annam Land. And I live um, at Galapa, which Galapa means the land of thirst. Land with no water. Land with no anything you can get. Um, That's what it means. And I live opposite the refinery for Rio Tinto across the street is a mining um, people that lives, I live next to. And I have lived nearly 75 nearly 80 years with my husband um, here at Kalupa. Uh, my husband left me because of COVID. Uh, he had COVID. So he left me alone here um, with my children, my dogs. And also, I have worked with my husband and a small group of my brothers and sisters around these areas, like three areas, including the town itself, Olunbo, Gee And here. Sometimes a call can be called from Irkara if there was um, a suicide complete or suicide attempt. I've worked with suicide prevention around here, volunteer um, with the help of my brothers and sisters. And uh, from the highest rate of suicide to nil, we did our job. So we are still here and we'd like to help. um, We said enough is enough. So we did that. So we are looking after or looking to um, create another not a business, but um, a mission in helping women and children in bringing them to safety because I live alone and I'd like to help my girls are very helpful in babysitting and all that, you know. And we're looking at having women with violence to stay with us so we can educate them and so we can talk to them, care for the children and for the family to stay all together, you know, something like that.
4: Yeah. And I mean, you mentioned that you have worked for a, a while in suicide prevention, and that's an important part of the work that you do at Galapa, which also uh, does specific work around uh, women's healing and you know protection and health and strength. So you have done a really amazing job in reducing suicide rates in your community. How did you do that?
1: Oh, I don't know, but God knows um, most, you know, but for the love of people, we did it. We did it. Volunteer
4: for the love of people our community. Mm. Yeah, and and what did you do uh, for people?
1: Um, On the paydays, especially, on pay week, uh, we would go and stay with one of my sister or my brother's house and just listen for the cry because that's when um, the violence and suicide appears, you know and it is nighttime, it's night when they, when people are fighting, so much to drink, argument, um, key cut missing, Uh, wife runs away because he's been drinking, and all those problems comes in and the uh, husband comes back home and is screaming and shouting, so we just listen how he's doing. If he's um or she's running off in bush, that's where where, where we take um the action. To run after him with a torch, a uh, phone torch and to rescue him and to sit down with him, talk with him, have a cup of tea with him. And hear the problem of the person.
4: Yeah, and so you're sitting down and you're listening to people, you're making them feel safe and understanding what's happening to them. Uh, so when did you start doing this work uh, with, with the women? And how many women and children are staying at Galupa?
1: It's um, hard to count, but yesterday I had about uh, five, six girls stay with me because they had a problem in um violence, you know, with uh, boyfriends, defector, husbands, and all that. So,
5: excuse
1: me, I had a um, six, two of them was my grandchildren, and um, sometimes I get
4: ten or more. Yeah, and you mentioned that they also, when they're there, everyone's helping each other out, everyone's taking care of each other, and I was Also, interested to hear about how painting the traditional art that you teach helps women and children to stay connected to their culture and to heal.
1: Yes, that is a very important part of us Um, because sometimes I see women come into um, my care to, you know, run away from husband or family. I know because they are interested in painting and sometimes I see them uh, do painting around and do walk around in town selling. So it interests me because I have not a very large um, museum but a little that I help because that's how we tell each other who we are, by our paintings. That's the important part. I teach, and they teach me. Even though I'm older than them, I still get um, taught what need uh, what um, uh, story they give me, or I give them story about painting, doing painting.
4: Yeah, and I think what I what I understand from that as well is it allows them to learn about their culture, but also allows you to learn more about different things that they know that you might not know. Yes, because without
1: the land and the painting to the land, we are nothing. So we've got to hold that the land, the painting belongs to the land, and us to show others who we are by our art.
4: Yeah, and I know that part of this has to do with your rum your or your lore. So can you tell us about why that's so important to you? Um, to me, I've learned from the
1: day I was born to raise, teenage, and all that. I was taught all these things that follow your ROMs. Stay with your Rome, the law, our traditional law um, that, um, you know, that holds the land. Protect the land. Stay with the land because the land is full of heritage and um, sacred to us very sacred, so we've got to protect the land and the art in it.
4: I was listening to um, you speaking in a in a video about Galapa, and you mentioned that the land is your treasure and that that's, that's what you have, and I know recently the mining company Rio Tinto had offered you $3 million to leave Galapa and to leave your land, but why did you stay?
1: um yes it is very like to me it was like attempting a three million that offered real tinto offered and because i live in a tin house and Rio tinto said here's three million um so you can build yourself a house and your family i was so excited uh, but then I made a stop. Now, if I take that 3000000 million, I'm going to lose my little treasure home. With all the stories, with all the art, with all the, you know, whatever there is, I will lose and I will be lost. That's what uh, it came to me. And I said, now I've got to go on living in this land that my forefathers and my father um, established and said, this is Kumaj land. So hold this for Kumaj, Waramiri, Wanguri, Taluango, Monyoko, other tribes. There was other tribes underneath. So I did not want to lose the home. It was all the treasure I had and I'm happy I am happy and even though I'm living here I still want to live on and that's why I am trying to lobby people to help me build a good home for me not a big mansion home but a good home for me to live and protect my people
4: in you know to be in safe place I mean women and children From what you've been talking about, being on your land and being connected to your land and to your culture is such an important part of making sure that your community is healthy and safe and strong.
1: Yes, of course. And I want to see my community, people and my family stay together
4: and be happy and safe. Hmm. What is your dream for Galupa in the future? My dream for
1: Galupa is, like, you know, um, I dream of having a nice home, a nice home given to me. If somebody can recognize me that I'm a senior woman still living here, Akuma Tjelda, and doing my job for other people, you know, to see them happy and to live, together you see them live together and be happy you know all I need is uh, protection from others and to help me with a good home or a demandable whatever you see my people my women come to me and children for safety
4: yeah so that you can live safely and so that you can keep people safe in your home.
1: Yeah, so when I live, I can keep the, uh, my family and my people safe, and when I live, that's my biggest dream to see my family and my people, community people safe, safe and happy and together.
4: Is there anything else that you want to to tell me about, or tell uh, our listeners about Galupa and about your work?
1: I don't know who else I can run to for helping me and Galupa, but I have done a quite quite a you know a number of looking into, like asking. Fix my cap, fix my um, aircon, fix my, you know, whatever I need around here. But it's a bigger job with bigger money to look after the
4: whole Galloper. We'll find out about where people can donate and we'll give that information to our listeners. But yeah, thank you so much for talking to me about this.
1: Yes, it's, um. Thank you for listening, cause it's like bringing something that's been hidden in me
0: outside. Thank you so much for listening. You've just heard Priya's interview with Gummacha Clan Elder Gayeli Marika Yunupingu, who leads the Galupa Safety House Suicide Prevention and Women's Shelter Initiative as part of the Galupa Homeland Project. The project is located on the Grove Peninsula on northeast Aramland in Northern Territory and is focused on keeping women and children in, in Galupa safe and healthy through the connections to land and culture under the guidance of Ilungu elders. Now this year, Gaili turned down a $3 million offer from Rio Tinto, which has established a refinery near Galupa to relocate this project. Now, emphasising the centrality of her land, to the work that she does for her people, Galupa remains sorely underfunded and listeners are encouraged to chip into their Christmas appeal, which we'll also link in our show notes, to build and maintain vital infrastructure to sustain this work into the future. And I think listening to the interview, what I really took away from it was, you know, that they, they do, Gagli does it for the love of people, for the love of community. And the land is the treasure, you know, protect and stay with the land and the art in it. And that knowing that the dream is for the communities in Galupa to stay safe and happy and together, um, I think that's really special. So definitely chip in to the Christmas appeal. We'll put that in the show notes. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM and it is currently 729.
5: From a
2: private
0: life so public, as the tabloids caught your tears,
5: being photographed.
3: How sad. Within. How tragic. But it doesn't have to be that way on the Burning Vinyl Alternative Music Program.
6: Burning Vinyl. Fridays, 2 till 4 pm
0: on 3CR and next up we have the first in our kind of three series of interviews coming up about Palestine media and the arts first we'll hear Spike's interview with Nick Chesterfield who is a journalist and member of the media entertainment and arts alliance solidarity group for Palestine and they discussed the open letter written to the Australian newsrooms by journalists to raise awareness of the pro-Zionist coverage of the war and genocide in Gaza. Now, coverage that peddles the false narrative that there is, you know, a, a parody between two sides and only one side has the right to defend itself is essentially soft on war crimes and human rights abuses. Nick has also discussed the pressure exerted by editors to push a pro-genocide machine line or what Nick has described as stenographers of genocide. And finally, Nick also discussed what an insurgent or more balanced media that reported the facts would look like. So let's take a listen.
2: Today we are speaking to Nick Chesterfield from the Media, Entertainment and Arts Alliance about the Australian media's reporting of the war genocide in Gaza and the steps that the MEAA has taken to raise awareness of the pro-Zionist and pro-Israeli reporting. Thanks for making the time to speak to us here at 3CR Thursday Breakfast, Nick.
6: Thank you for having me on. I'll just um, make it, uh, just clarify, I'm not... I'm a MEAA member, but uh, the organisation or the collective that's been formed is from the uh, rank and file MEAA members uh, for Palestine. It's not an initiative of the actual union itself.
2: Okay, thanks for clearing that up. Yeah. <laughs> right, say so tell us about tell us a bit about the collective, the 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 MEAA, I guess solidarity group for Palestine.
6: Yeah, so MEAA members for Palestine was formed. Um, as an active, not just journalism solidarity, but media workers in solidarity with our colleagues in uh, Greza, uh, who are being assaulted daily by the Israeli war on civilians uh, there. And it was basically a initiative that was brought about to, you know, expose the the propaganda instruments and the... Ways that Australian uh, media, entertainment, and art spaces have been co opted by uh, extremely powerful and silencing Zionist voices against uh, not just Palestine but uh, all Indigenous perspectives in solidarity with Palestine.
2: Yeah, look, I, I as I said to you earlier um, in our brief conversation, what I found within the first, actually within the first few days of the reporting on after what happened on October seven, it looked like you know the the, the creation of the narrative that there's some sort of parity between the two sides when one side's a nuclear power, only one side has the, has a right to defend itself, and there were no stories from the families of the people from how people from Hamas that were being slaughtered. By by the Israeli um, by the Israeli government. So, hmm. can you please tell us something about the letter, the open letter to Australian newsrooms? because I think that summarises a lot of the issues that 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 you know important issues.
6: Absolutely. So, um, a lot of the um, issues, you know, obviously after October seven, um, it's almost like a a pre planned media assault had begun. Um, to immediately silence uh, any Palestinian perspectives or any alternative perspectives other than uh, the revenge retaliation of the State of Israel against Hamas. And, yeah, and there was absolutely no ability for any kind of editorial integrity to be Observed in reporting, uh, especially with public broadcasters such as the ABC. Partly, what happened with the open letter for for Australian journalists uh, by Australian journalists to uh, Australian media outlets that was born because a lot of people, a lot of working journalists, could not were not able to sign the MEA members for Palestine letter. They were threatened with workplace sanction if they tried. So it became a very methodical letter that was basically put together by a cross-workplace group of which MEA members for Palestine was part of. That was put together by the ABC House Committee and the, uh, like, Nine Facts House Committees, that sort of and the National Media Section Committee of the MAAA to basically call on newsrooms to allow uh, reporting, reporting to address the argument, to combat the arguments, information, allegations of pro-Israel sources. So we we were hoping that Australia Australian newsrooms would be able to treat this with, and we call you know, we were calling. The newsrooms to allow reporting with reasonable skepticism and burden of proof and to quote the letter rather than allowing its journalism to uncritically replicate Zionist talking points and unproven speculation. Um, part of a letter also said that we can't allow our co- colleagues to compromise their professional ethics by becoming stenographers to any state violence. Media holds a serious responsibility in guiding the terms of public discourse and understanding and our colleagues must be supported in performing this role with journalistic clarity and moral integrity. So, this was obviously a letter that created a lot of pushback from the usual suspects, where they um, described anyone who was involved in the signing of that letter. And you know, there's over 500 journalists involved uh, who who did go on to sign and. You know, editors basically made a very biased call, uh, very lacking in editorial independence, actually, um, to ban all signatories to that letter from reporting on anything to do with Palestine.
2: So what does that tell us about the state of the Australian media? I mean, the the political economy of of the Australian media, when even, I guess, as a public broadcast. Public broadcasters in the past have had a better, re- a better reputation with reporting these these sort of, I guess, international sort of politics. But it, it seems like, I, I guess I had no idea how blatant the pressure was on journalists to report in a particular way.
6: Well, I think what this has shown is basically the mask has slipped. Um, Australian media, Australian colonial media, has always been complicit in colonisation's worst excesses. Uh, it's been complicit in the colon- colonial projects from day dot.
2: Yep.
6: It's been there to manufacture consent the genocide against Indigenous peoples. There's very few journalists in the colony who are willing to push back against it. Um, there's certainly a growing number, as this letter has demonstrated, and that's that's a positive thing. However, it really shows that there is no Integrity in the coloniser media space. Most of the the people, like you know, I'm not going to name names for 3CR's protection here, but um, you know, there's there's a lot of the uh, editors involved who were um, regular um, uh, recipients of Israeli Zionist largesse in terms of uh, the free press trips paid for by the Israeli Ministry of Foreign Affairs to Israel, which are propaganda junkets, which include nice little Dead Sea mud resort tents. And these people are so blatantly compromised by pro-Zionist propaganda junkets that when they call for editorial objectivity. They're, they're just demonstrating that they're just, you know, they're complicit colonisers. They're complicit with genocide and they've got no uh, qualms about showing it.
2: That that whole the whole notion of objectivity has lost all meaning then. The whole uh, whole idea of balance has completely lost all meaning.
6: Well, balance has always been in the Australian media landscape about predicating what's called both sides. And where you provide equal voice to the voices of perpetrators and victims in human rights abuses, where you you give weight, you give equal weight to the voices of the powerful, theoretically, give equal weight to the voices of the powerful, uh, to the voices of the disempowered and disenfranchised. Now, as we all know, that's simply not true. Uh, objectivity, you know, both sides of them. When you're dealing with genocide, abuse, sexual assault, whatever it is, you know, you. I'm a, I'm a, I'm proud as an insurgent and a peace journalist. And the, the notion of peace journalism and human rights reporting and environmental reporting is so different from this colonizer crap. And it's basically, we give equal value to established, credible, fact-based reporting. Now, there is, we both sides, facts only. So we give equal voice to the facts. We don't necessarily give equal voice to a propagandistic outlet. There's, there's no need to do both sides if you're doing proper journalism. You know, if you've got claims of propaganda by both sides, including insurgent sides, then your responsibility as a journalist is to verify it and report it. Now, if it's unverifiable, don't report it. But the problem is, is these stenographers of genocide are only uncritically repeating the, the talking points in the public... Affa- they're public affairs units for genocidists.
2: For the war so, shame, basically.
6: Yeah, yeah. And that that's always been the case with colonising media. Um, but what this has shown is that people are so unafraid. And they talk about, you know, the business models of journalism falling apart and, you know, people's, people not engaging in traditional media and legacy media and, you know, people's jobs being under threat. The business model of traditional journalism in this colony is under threat because people cannot trust it. Because, you know, younger generations especially are just seeing straight through the propaganda.
2: I guess my next question is, so what does a more, for one of a better way of putting it, a more ethical... I, I think you use the word uh, when you dis- to describe yourself, insurgent. Um, what does that look like? What does a, a more balanced, in terms of speaking up for the people that for the people that have been attacked, for the people that have been disempowered and silenced for years, what does that look like?
6: One of the most important things that we've pushed forward, the for MEAA members for Palestine letter and initiatives, is simply for the Journalism Code of Ethics to be stuck to and the traditional... ..the traditional ethics of journalism, you know, the... ..facts need to be verified. Facts, you know, you can't repeat propaganda. You need to correct mistakes. You need to give access to the victim's stories. Right, so that, that's a fundamental thing, is just to stick to the core ethics of real journalism. That's not much of a big ask. However, I don't think the colony's journalism is capable of that, because people are too comfortable, they don't have lived experience of living as a marginalised community under repression, What a great
2: point. Sorry to interrupt you, Nick, but that is such an important, important point. Thank you for mentioning that.
6: Yeah. So, and this is fundamental to why Australian journalism is the way it is. Overwhelmingly, and and this is partly the way of hiring, this is partly the way of people getting their foot into the door of the media. Traditionally, there was only access Traditionally, you used to knock on a door and then beat your shoe ladder down and walk around and do the shit, shit jobs and, you know, run, run things up from the basement, to you know, from the print room to the, you know, printing floor and, you know, deal with the editorial abuse. You'd, you'd, you'd do it the hard way. You'd go do the death knocks. You'd go do a cadet And... You could, be a, you could start as an apprentice, you didn't need to come from a massive family, you just needed to prove that you were able to tell the story accurately and quickly and get your deadlines done. These days, the only way to access journalism is through a degree in journalism. Then, you need to do, unpaid, well, now they've started to do paid internships, but you still need to do internships. You need to be able to uh, live in the inner city, not getting paid or getting paid very small amounts. You know, with the cost of living crisis, with uh, you know access to lack of access to housing. What that means is only privileged people with mummy and daddy who were able to pay rent in a city apartment or to afford to be those those people who could get in their feet in the door to the interns. It's like interns that's anywhere. It's very much, you know, people who have the confidence to engage in that white system. But the problem that most newsrooms, we call it the white wall, it's just this, you're not allowed to have an opinion that that moves against the... Um, experiences of, you know, very wealthy, privileged white Anglo-Saxon Protestants or or Europeans. You know, you're not allowed to you're not allowed to challenge any of the issues of racism in the newsroom. You know, the second you have and it any kind of um, experience that, you know has grown up as a refugee? Who's grown up, you know, as a blackfella? Who's grown up in any kind of way that's different to the the cultural hegemon? Then your voice is just discounted. So the way insurgency, the way an insurgency in the media has to happen, and it has to happen. We need to hold, not just hold that power to account, but we need to abolish that power structure. We need people who are unafraid to report against the colony, people who will lob journalistic bombs at the institutions of power. How that looks is by having um, networks of journalists looking after each other's backs, It means we have space to organise and publish ourselves. It also means, you know, we have to build, sadly, business models to make it sustainable that involve people really subscribing to make sure that, you know, we can pay all our people a living wage. Um, there's, There's a lot of ways that, you know... People need to just be able to tell the truth on the ground.
0: Yeah, what an amazing interview with Spike and Nick Chesterfield, who is a journalist and member of the Media, Entertainment and Arts Alliance Solidarity Group for Palestine. And they spoke about uh, the open letter written to Australian newsrooms by journalists to raise awareness of the pro-Zionist coverage of the genocide in Gaza. And... The coverage that really peddles both sideism, which is null and void. When a lot of these editors are also going on press trips to so-called Israel, who are blatantly compromised by Zionist propaganda, and you know Nick said it's the colony. Why are we giving equal value to? Why are we giving equal value to this? We don't do it in similarly with sexual assault, but um, or right now with like human rights abuses or environmental issues or genocide. Um, and yeah, he also brought up a really great point about who is in these newsrooms. It's about journalists who could do unpaid internships in city apartments, who could actually afford to get their foot in the door and are happy to play into the white system. So I think it's really fantastic to see what it is like in a newsroom, what these journalists have written a statement about. Um, but yeah, and we'll also link the MEAA statement in our show notes as well. you will listening to 3CR
5: 855
3: AM. Hi. I'm Jeffrey. I'm Alphonse. I'm Erwin. And we, we
5: are, are from, from the voice of, of West Papua. Papua. Tuesday, six thirty until seven thirty PM. News and music from West Papua. Private life so public as the tabloids caught your tears being photographed. How sad.
3: How tragic. But it doesn't have to be that way on the Burning Vinyl Alternative Music Program.
6: Burning Vinyl. Fridays, 2 till 4 pm on 3CR.
0: And now we have a very sweet special interview with Noor Abdul Latif who is the founder and director of Unassigned Gallery which was born out of a desire to give platform to artists on the outside as so often the art world can feel impenetrable. Established in 2022, Unassigned Gallery is an artist-run space that seeks to platform new and unseen talent in Nam vibrant arts and media scene. And Noor is here to talk about the importance of amplifying artists' voices and what being a queer Muslim means to them and finding joy and respite in creativity. Thanks so much for joining us here today, Noor. Thank you for having me. Oh, so special. What an honor. Um, well, maybe Noor, can we start off by telling our listeners a little bit more about who you are? Yes.
7: Yeah, of course. First, I want to say I'm on the tram to work, so it might be a little bit noisy. <laughs> That's <behind> okay. Me. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'm Nord. I um, am the founder and director of a little tiny gallery in Brunswick called Unassigned Gallery. Um, and I also work part-time in the arts and occasionally teach year 12, which I love. So I feel like I do a lot, but my big passion is the gallery and what I do there. Um, and... Also,
0: it's very important that
7: I say I have a really cute self called Monty and the stuff that like, That's my, like, highlight of my everything that I
0: do. <laughs> yeah, that's really special. I think it's yeah. nice to have um, someone that you can hold, yeah, like, dear and <laughs> close to your heart as well. Yeah. Um, I'm also interested in how the Unassigned Gallery was born because, you know, from everything that I've read and i visited there too, because it really, it really centres ad platforming, voices that are so often marginalized in the art scene which also often feels really like elitist and classist and impenetrable so yeah what are your thoughts on that
7: yeah so okay it's been so i've wanted to do this for like 10 years Mm -hmm. and but it had always been kind of a fantasy idea and like oh i wish i could do that i wish i could have a gallery um And, yeah, it always felt like people like me could never do something like that. And it it, it is so elitist in classes that it it just felt like it wasn't for people like me. Um, And it was always in the back of my mind that it was just something that I wanted to do. But a couple of years ago, the gallery's been open for a year, so maybe like three or four years
8: ago.
7: Mm -hmm. I don't know what it was, but something shifted in my mind where it was like, I kind of was like, it doesn't actually matter if it's not for people like me. I can do it anyway. Like, why not? Like, I'll just figure it out. Um, And so I had one thought going in was that I just wanted to create a space that, like, a little 15-year-old queer Muslim version of me would have needed. Um, Because, you know, like, 15 years ago, I think the art world was a bit more exclusive than it is now and it already is so exclusive um so yeah I went in with that idea and um kind of was like you know I don't care what happens as long as I can create a space that I feel like would would have been good for that younger version of me then I'm happy and um I I'm kind of I know it's like it feels kind of shocking to me but I know it shouldn't be, but it turns out that so many
0: people need that space. Yeah, 100%. I think it's really special that you were like, I want to make this space. I I can't see it around me. And then so often when you do create spaces like that, other people come to it and they're saying, I needed that too. Um, Yeah,
7: it's so crazy. It's like completely blown my mind how many people can resonate with the space and connect and feel at home with the space. Um, But then also from having my gallery, it feels really amazing getting to know other spaces that are like also new and doing the same thing. And it feels like, it feels like a real honor for me to be able to share my gallery with other, um, other people who are doing the same thing.
0: Yeah. Like building solidarity with the communities around you. I think that's really, really special. Um, yeah, I think you know, noting on, I guess the topic of maybe marginalization, even with a lot of the discussion around what's happening in Palestine, and you know, artists like standing up and say, uh, yeah, saying what they should be saying. Um, but there's also a lot of discussion around, you know, these artists should just like stick to what they're good at, and suggesting somehow that like art should be apolitical. But we also know that art is a form of protest. Even being an artist who, yeah, is like a queer Muslim is also a form of protest by existence and being in the space. So I'm interested to I guess know your thoughts around it about like artists people saying that artists should like stick to what they're good at and also art should be apolitical.
7: Yeah. I re- yeah, I completely disagree with that with the idea that art should be apolitical. But um on that note I I, I think that everyone, no matter what your needs to be talking about what's happening in in Palestine and um, so I would say the same for any other career but I definitely think artists specifically like we've built a platform um, by sharing our thoughts and our voices like that's what art is right like it's not it's it's just not like it's not apolitical Um, and I think it, it it feels really hypocritical for like to see artists who refuse to say anything about what's happening it it feels like you know you've built your platform around your voice and how important it is to share your voice and now you're not using it and I think also for me with the gallery like it would feel it would be really hypocritical if I wasn't using the gallery platform in that way I feel like I've got a big platform that I can use um, and educate people or even just kind of, like, um, just, like, let people know that it's, it's okay to talk. Like, there's, um, there's like, a bunch of galleries in Melbourne and, well, actually all around Australia, but particularly Melbourne, um, that have, like, gotten together to get this statement supporting all the artists who are being, who are actively talking about what's happening because there have been so many spaces that are trying to silence them.
0: mm that's so, so important. important. Yeah,
7: yeah. I um there have been a lot of art spaces that have been trying to silence their artists. So I think it is really important. This was um I think it was started by a space called Club Project and they worked to get um a bunch of other galleries and creative spaces together to make a statement um that can like assure artists that you know, they're still safe if they speak up. Like, we've got their back. and Just because they lose opportunities with other places, there's, like, all of
0: these, like, there's 60 places in Melbourne that will have their back. Yep, that's that's amazing. Yeah, we could definitely put it in our show notes as well. Um, yeah, if you want to send it through, I could definitely do that. Yeah, that would be amazing, yeah. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, well, coming up to, I guess, the end of the interview, because no, I know that you're also on a tram <laughs> to work. Um I know that, you know, a lot of the time when I think about creative spaces or places that are for community and protest and joy, um, I always think of Adrienne Marie Brown's and pleasure activism. And she describes it as like the work that we do to reclaim our whole happy and satisfiable selves from the impacts of delusions and impact of oppression or supremacy. So I guess how does creativity and joy in community spaces? Really play into your life during times of collective grief, particularly right now.
7: Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's such a good. That's such a good question and such a good reference. So I have so many different things I want to say for this. Mm-hmm. Um, so specifically, um, specifically for you know times like right now, I have found it's so important to open up the gallery. Um, like actively open it up as a safe space for people who just want to come together and be not okay together, and that's fine. Yep. Um, It feels really beautiful
8: to be in that
7: community of other people where you can just be not okay and you can just share the space together. Um, Yeah, 100%.
0: Oh, yeah, you go for it. Oh,
7: sorry. The other thing I want to say is, um, so the event that you came to last week, the launch of Queer Connect, that I found so important because even though um, Queer Connect was launching their first campaign, they also um, made space in that to talk about what's happening in Palestine, but also what's happening in Australia with people. people and um, they took they, this is time to um, talk about like you know, being able to reach out to them if you want to know how to be more active in that scene and active in like decolonization um so i think having a community space or just being in the community it is just really important to be um like it's not for me it's not like when you enter the gallery it's like oh everything disappears Yeah. so it's it's not like that kind of space it's like really important that um yeah, we're all still talking about what's happening and yeah, using kind of like that social power like when we're together. Um,
0: yeah, I think that's really beautiful. I, like I think the point that is so important is like you enter the space and it yeah, you don't disappear, what's happening outside doesn't disappear. But um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like being in community with each other, finding joy, and yeah, a space where you don't actually have to be okay. Um, But thank you so much, Nora, for coming on the show. Is there anything else that you would like to promote or any events at the Undersigned Gallery that you're looking forward to? Yeah, well,
7: there was one more thing I want to say on the last point. Yeah, sure. Yesterday, so um, one of the things I do at the gallery is free art classes for people who've been through the prison system. Yep. Um, and I work with a group called Beyond the Stone Walls Advisory Collective. So their Instagram is Um And from you know our monthly free art classes, um, it really has highlighted how important it is to have that space that people can come in and not be okay and. Um, you know, we do our free art classes for everyone who's coming together for the same reason, that they've got this experience in the prison system and they can freely talk about it and know that they're in um, a safe judgment-free space. Yeah. And so that, yeah, that really highlights the importance, importance to me with what's happening currently, just to be able to have that safe space.
0: Yeah, 100%. Well, we'll definitely link that as well as the statement as well um, in our show notes. But thank you so much for coming on the show, Noor, and taking time out of your day to speak to me. It's really appreciated. Um, Thank you so much.
7: I guess the last thing I'll promote is that our next exhibition opens on the 25th of January, and it's for Midsummer.
0: Oh, amazing. Yeah, beautiful. Excited, yeah, Yay. we'll look out for the 25th of Jan and we'll prevent it in the new year. But I hope you have a really lovely day at work you as so well. Thank for having me. No, anytime. Well, have a good day, Noor. Thank you so much. Bye, have a good one. Bye. And that was Noor Abdul Latif, who is the founder and director of Unassigned Gallery, uh, which was really born out of a desire to give platform to artists on the outside who are so often in the art world marginalized. And it's really an artist run space that seeks to platform new and unseen talent in NAMS vibrant art scene. And yeah, Nur chatted to us about amplifying artists' voices, joy and respite in creativity. You're listening to three CR eight five five AM and it is currently eight oh four.
3: Yeah.
5: Let's make history Motocade for Palestine We will be back bigger and louder at 12pm on the 23rd of December Meet opposite Faulkner Cemetery Our calls will echo through the streets to show that Burn City stands and drives for free Palestine Join the Sit Intifada, Free Palestine Melbourne Black People's Union Renegade Solidarity Audio Force at 12pm on the 23rd of December Follow Renegade Solidarity Audio Force on Instagram for more information. Motorcade for Palestine, a 3CR supporter.
6: You can try to avoid us, it's pointless. You can never avoid the voices of the voiceless.
2: Salam Behamegi. This is Jahan Khonlu from Salam Radio. Tune in 4 to 6 p.m. every Sunday on 3CR for a wide selection of modern music from the greater Middle East and beyond. We feature guests both locally and internationally based to help bring new sounds to you. For more information, please follow our
5: Instagram at Salam Radio Show. So tune on in.
0: And now we have our very last interview of today with Sevilla Sabarg, who is a Palestinian artist, a Palestinian Irish artist and activist who uses art as an ideal form of communication, expression, and engaging and mobilising community. And she engages with ecological and human stories to grapple with what it means to live on stolen land and resistance. And today they join us to speak about art as resistance and protest, the targeting and killing of arts and media's workers in Palestine, Zionism in the art and media scene, and what we can do about it. Thank you so much for joining us here today, Sophia.
8: Oh, thanks
0: for having me. No, thank you. Um, Yeah, I wanted to start off with art and how art has been used by Palestinians as a communication tool, you know, to keep alive national symbols, such as the Palestinian flag, to express resistance. So, yeah, I wanted to start with the importance of art as protest and resistance, mobilizing community, communication, uh, particularly through the work that you do.
8: Yeah. Um, I guess so much of the work that I try to do or, like, what keeps me interested in art practice has been inspired by Palestine and all of the community arts programs that happen there and the importance for them. So it's a really relevant question. It's, um, yeah, like the national symbols are... Like, they, they tell us so much of how it is difficult for Palestinian artists to actually showcase their work and 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 work at all you know they've they've been getting shut down for you know for the last 75 years and funding gets very um targeted to um you know like lots of spies infiltrating the art scene Mm -hmm. i mean when i say this i'm specifically speaking of the west bank and um 48 palestine where you know what Israel calls Arab Israelis um, are trying to resist the occupation. Without you know, under under cover. Um, I I haven't been able to go to Hezb because it's been under siege and all this stuff. So yeah, I don't have experience of the art scene there personally. But um, but it's you know these these national symbols that like the watermelon from Sleman Mansour, it's because he couldn't put the flag up with his art exhibitions. And and I think these kinds of little symbols are just tiny windows into the big world of poetry, theatre, arts that has been practised in Palestine for a really long time. It's kind of, you know, amazing that they're being showcased so much, but also important to remember there is so much more... um, to the culture sometimes.
0: Yeah, of course. Yeah, remembering Um, that there's been so much more. Um, Yeah, continue. Sorry, Sophia?
8: Oh, no, you're right. Um, But, yeah, there's heaps of theatre, like the Janine Freedom Theatre Company that's just been um, raided and shut down recently by the IDF. Um, which is really devastating and I can imagine would be scaring a lot of the other arts organisations that are still functioning around the West Bank. Um, and uh, like, for example, the Palestinian Circus School, mm-hmm. um, which go to all different refugee camps and villages and um, teach kids all different types of circus and building that strength in their bodies, helps them to communicate their politics, their needs, you know, talking in front of people. And I think similar with the theatre, these community arts organisations have given empowerment and voice and hope and fun, you know, in this context of being occupied and oppressed and being treated like shit whenever you're at a checkpoint or up against a soldier. So having these outlets... uh,
0: so important yeah definitely I guess,
8: often they are for kids but it's important for everyone
0: yeah important for everybody having a like a community-based cultural center where you can find in empowerment and joy under oppression is important and I know that you you brought up you know the raid on the Freedom Theatre in Janine Refugee Camp uh, but there's also been the killing of the martyred and dear poet Rafael Alari and the oh, harrowing yeah. detention of poet Mossab Abu Toha where almost, and also in Gaza where almost not like a hundred journalists have been martyred and I wanted to know why does the settler colony of so-called Israel target arts and media and journalism workers specifically?
8: Well yeah, for a long time they have been. I guess um, up until now, so much of it has seemed to be to just really crush any kinds of hope. You know, it's like someone's putting on a play. Why would that be such a security threat? Um, and yet it makes life feel more difficult. It, it, You know, it it makes people give up in terms of, oh, you know, there's no point or something. So there's definitely a kind of psychological warfare about targeting the arts. Um and then there's obviously also the um the overall sorry, I just thought of two things at once and then it kinda of, they kinda of cancelled each other in my mind. <laughs> no, that's fine.
0: <laughs> go go for the two thoughts. My brain always does the same thing.
8: <laughs> um, so they target artists and journalists and and poets. Um I guess In terms of international solidarity, they've been pretty powerful at engaging people with Palestine and one one other part of Israel's occupation, you know, alongside the psychological warfare is cutting off ties from, you know, the West Bank or Palestinian um, uh, titled events and culture, cutting off those ties with um, the rest of the world like. You can see that with the economy, um, how Palestinian businesses, they cannot sell to places outside. Like It's really hard for um, artists to have international recognition because they can't tour very easily with their art. Um, oh, you have to apply for a visa and this and that, and um, and they often get rejected. So there's definitely a big kind of pressure for Palestinians to not get internationally acknowledged. And that, I mean, as well, that psychological warfare because you just feel like you're in an underground world where no one knows about what's happening in Palestine. But but also, yeah, that does reduce international solidarity and recognition, and Israel can continue to...
0: Yeah, I think the lack of international solidarity and the kind of like psychological warfare that that puts in place um, is such an important point. And Sophia, maybe I wanted to just chat about, you know, the Zionism that is in so-called Australia's arts and media scene. You know, we we have Schwartz Media, but could you talk to how widespread Zionism is in the arts and media scene and what that kind of looks like for... The Silencing of Artists' Opinions and Solidarity with Philistine. Oh, Sophia, are you there? Okay, just bear with us one second.
3: I sat in the interrogation room wanting answers. You see, that's what I did. I grilled authors for the whys and wherefores. Every Thursday, 11.30, it was the same, 3CR, published or not. Who were the characters involved? What were they like? And how did the whole damn plot unfold? So stay tuned as Jan, David, and Lisa apply the pressure once more to yet another author.
4: do you have a
2: few children's picture books or footy boots that your kids have outgrown but want to find them a loving home well drop them in at 3cr and put them in the books and boots bin Books and Boots regularly sends pre-loved children's picture books and sports footwear to
6: remote and regional First Nations communities and children across the country. Contact us at Books and Boots or go to the website www.booksandboots.org.au We love a good book.
0: And we are back with uh, Sophia. It wouldn't be community radio with a bit of technical issues sometimes <laughs> as well. But yeah, I will just re out uh, about the question. So Sophia, I wanted to ask you about the Zionism in so-called Australia's arts and media scene. You know, from Schwartz Media, Best and Family, could you speak to how widespread Zionism is in the arts and media scene, particularly when it comes to the really strong silencing of artists' opinions and solidarity.
8: Yeah. Um, So Zionist organisations have been funding so many arts organisations and it has definitely... I mean, at the moment we're seeing them not able to make meaningful statements in support of Palestine and in support of their artists who are wanting to support Palestine if for risk of them losing their funding. And, yeah, the fact that this kind of long-term funding by Zionist bodies is putting, putting this pressure on them so that they can't break ties with Israel, I find that really sad. I feel like they've got a duty to their artists being able to voice their opinions and they've got a duty to the fact that there's a genocide happening and maintaining ties just like the government is with pro-Israel bodies is contributing to this colonial project that allows you know, it's not just the genocide in Palestine. It's it's being complicit in the colonisation and genocide of Indigenous people all over the world. And and the fact that Zionist organisations are so, you know, behind the scenes influencing so many of these art spaces is quite unnerving. Um, so you've got, I mean, the Schwartz Fund... Um, you know, even 3RRR, Switzkrieg Community Arts Centre, Malthouse, ACA, they fund a lot of the museums, Tarawarma Art Museum, they fund a lot of these big art spaces, community art spaces, and also there's the Zionist um, law firm that have been providing a lot of free legal aid that have been pulling out from... Working with Nava, so Nava spoke out, well, not spoke out, but supported the artist's letter in support of Palestine. But I forget the number, but so many artists signed. Yep. And, um, and of course, a lot of these Zionist funders were not impressed by it and were like, you know, October 7th, October 7th. Um, but Nava, who's if you're not aware of it, yeah, they're like a... Um, They provide um, insurance for artists and and support in all sorts of ways. Um, So yeah, they're they're standing by the artists and so they've lost this pro bono um, legal aid because it was coming from Zionists and that's great that they can still function as an organisation and that they're not afraid of losing these ties. But obviously a lot of other art spaces are... They feel too dependent, dependent on them, um, and I guess you know with the Beeson family funding the Collingwood Art Centre, that's another kind of funny example where they've they own so many of the buildings along Gertrude Street, and including the high rises that are going up one of them next door to um, Collingwood Yards. And so funding the art space at Collingwood Yards is upping the market price of the big high-rises. Wow. And, of course, a lot of the artists won't be able to afford, you know, not to
0: <laughs>
8: make assumptions, but a lot of the artists, you know, they're, they're people of colour. And, and in the Collingwood Flats as well, as the yeah. Collingwood Flats are getting... Um, Turned from social housing to like just bullshit expensive housing um, a lot of artists and people of color won 't be able to afford living in Collingwood more and more yeah and part of that gentrification is on the backs of these people of color and and these artists so yeah
0: exactly there's
8: a whole lot of layers of the um the impact of this of this funding and 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 of course it does help to normalize Zionist opinions in arts culture news spaces yep in, in in Australia you know it's and I feel like you know Australia is a colonial country it's in a lot of Australia's interest to be Zionist you know to oppress um, the resistance movement of indigenous people all over not just Palestinian and especially at the moment when there's so much actual hope. Yes. Among Palestinians. you know, it's not just, oh, this is my this is my culture, we've already been genocided and now I'm gonna share it with you. It's kinda of like, you no, know, we've actually got hope to live in Palestine again. And I feel like that's where, you know, the Palestinian art movement is actually more threatening to Zionist colonial bodies. It's this actual there's actually you know Palestinians haven't stopped believing that they'll
0: return i mean a lot
8: of them
0: yep um yeah i think so it's really it. i think it's really special that you have brought it up it's similar to you know um, early we had an interview with spike and nick chesterfield uh, about the mea statement and they were talking about what it's you know the who is actually in newsrooms of journalists who is in these are uh, like as you mentioned like in these art spaces where we have people who can only afford to do unpaid internships on their parents' money, um, who can only afford, you know, the highest rent in, Colli- yeah, in Collingwood. Um, it's kind of, yeah, it's the gentrification of the entire industry, but it's such a blockade on even who can I- even enter or, or be voiced. And even the psychological warfare of Palestinian artists um, in Palestine who don't, get the support and the voicing that they really should. Um, but, yeah, we are running out of time, sphere, I'm so sorry. But yeah, okay. <laughs> lastly, could you tell us a little bit more about, you know, what arts and media workers can do to show solidarity with Palestine and take action to get Zionism out of the arts?
8: Yes. I, I mean, I would love to see arts organisations... Boycotting Israel, I feel like, you know, it's not actually that radical. A lot of uh, Labour um, ex-politicians and current politicians have just said Australia needs to reconsider its relationship with Israel. I feel like what's happening now is mobilising a lot of people. And we've got to take this energy and what we're seeing to really create meaningful change and So working together to demand a a boycott, a complete cutting ties
0: with Israel would be primo. Yes, 100%. Thank you so much, Sophia. This is such an enlightening, important interview Um, and it kind of ties into similar interviews that we've had earlier today about, you know, from Nick Chesterfield, about MEA journalism, Nura from Undersigned Gallery, about, you know, spaces where community can feel seen. And, you know, what you've talked about is how widespread... Zionism is in the arts and media scene and really there is hope and uh, there's lots that we can actually do and that uh, we're not powerless to yeah, not do anything. But thank you so much for coming on the show today, Sophia. really, really appreciate it.
8: Thanks, Inez. Great yeah. interviewing. Bye.
0: Oh. <laughs> Bye. Thank you. Thank you. And that was Sofia Sabah, who is a Palestinian Irish artist and activist who uses art as her form of communication, expression and engaging and mobilizing community. And they spoke about art as resistance and protest, the targeting and killing of arts and media workers in Palestine and Zionism in the arts and media scene and what we can do about it. Australia's energy market is broken
3: Right, but co-power gives you better energy?
0: Nope, no retailer can control where the electrons they
2: buy off the grid come from But as a co-power member, you can vote on where 100% of revenue goes So instead of corporate profit, your energy bill builds the world you want to be a part of That's cool Learn more about the solidarity economy and co-power today And take the power back Victorian energy fact sheets and basic plan information documents are available at cooperativepower.org.au. For clear advice
3: on the right plan for you, contact us on 03 9068 6036.
1: A 3CR supporter.
0: So this is our very last live show of 2023. What a important, important year for building connection, building solidarity, and I think alignment for a lot of us. And for today, we just go through what we spoke about today. We had uh, Priya's interview with Gumaja Elder Gailili, um Marika Yunupingu who talks about the Galupa Safety House and Suicide Prevention and Women's Shelter Initiative um, as part of the Galupa Homeland Project where they spoke about, you know, the land as your treasure and protecting it and how it's there's a focus on keeping women and children in Galupa safe and healthy through their connections to land and culture. and You know, Gay Lily actually turned down a $3 million offer from Rio Tinto, and it's still incredibly. So, like solely underfunded so please chip into their Christmas appeal which we'll link in the show notes. Then Spike's interview with Nick Chesterfield who is a journalist and member of the Media Entertainment and Arts Alliance Solidarity Group for Palestine where they spoke about both sidism, pro-sidist coverage in the newsrooms, you know, st- stenographers of genocide and Nick also discussed what insurgent or more balanced media and reported facts would look like. And then we have Noor Abdul Latif, who is the founder and director of Unassigned Gallery, uh, which was born out of a desire to platform artists on the outside. And they spoke to us about amplifying artists' voices, what being, you know, a, a queer Muslim means to them and finding joy and respite in creativity. And lastly, Sophia Sabah, who is a Palestinian-Irish uh, activist, organiser and educator who uses art as communication, protest, resistance, And they also spoke about the targeting and killing of arts and media workers, what resistance means in art, and Zionism in the arts and media scene. And to round it off, I'm just going to go to a song by Palestinian artist uh, Kukyam called Ya Rahin Al Quds. And it's about, um, you know, drawing a lot of inspiration from old Palestinian folk songs to recently. So take a listen and tune into summer programming, which we'll be playing over summer. Thanks for listening.
5: يا رايحين على good خذوني you're ضائع good person, you're a good I'm sorry, 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 مش من حيفا am i am sorry i i am sorry i am sorry i am i am sorry i am sorry i am sorry i i am i Little Abbott, you're right, 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 you are right 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 you are